0: Well, hey, it's Jason here, and I'm one of the pastors from The Way Church. We are a new church with a home in the city of Vancouver. And our prayer is that God would use these sermons from our teaching team to help you see Jesus more clearly. And if you're not part of a church, we'd love to connect with you. The easiest way to do it is to visit our website and fill out our connect form at thewaychurch.ca. Let's jump in. We're starting a four-week series today called Only Jesus. That Jesus is at the center of everything we're doing as a new church. That our church is built on Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things Jesus did and telling others about him. That there is so much good advice in our world that will change your life if you follow it. Even scripture is filled with practical instruction. But we've missed the plot line of the Bible, if we don't present Jesus as the answer to the deepest longings in our souls and the problems that plague our society and prevent people from flourishing. And so we're always and only gonna be about Jesus as a church. And over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at some huge claims about Jesus. Here they are, only Jesus can conquer the grave only Jesus can forgive all sins, only Jesus can give full life, and only Jesus can calm the chaos in our lives. And so these are huge claims. And today I wanna look at probably the biggest strangest claim of them all that only Jesus can conquer the grave. If this is true, it means God exists. If this is true, It means God has revealed himself in Jesus. If this is true, it means there's life after death and it speaks to questions about meaning and purpose and dignity. If this is true, it changes how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And so today, turn with me to the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, biographies about Jesus's life and ministry. And John was written last by one of Jesus's friends. And so we're gonna go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 24. And we're gonna meet a disciple named Thomas. He was one of the 12 disciples. The disciples travel with Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They did ministry with him for about three years. And then Jesus died. And their hopes were shattered. And they were discouraged and disillusioned until Jesus appeared in their midst alive again. And Thomas wasn't there for that appearance. And that's the setting of this story. And so as we dive in this morning, I wanna show you three things or I wanna look at three things together. The claim of the disciples, the doubt of Thomas, and the blessing for us, right? The claim, the doubt, the blessing. And so let's dive into the story. If you have your Bible app or a Bible open, John 20, verse 24, this is how it goes. Now, Thomas called Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so let's look at the disciples' claim here. Their claim in this story is central to Christianity. If you're new to the faith, if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, this is the central claim of the Christian faith. Apart from this event, there would be no Christianity. If this claim is not true, the New Testament itself in 1 Corinthians 15, you can check it out, says our faith is is futile and silly and useless. And this claim can be summarized in a few words we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Not not we felt the presence of the Lord in our hearts. You know, not, not our leader and friend is now in the presence of God. Not, you know, Jesus died and we had a vision of him alive in the presence of God. No, the claim was we have seen the Lord. This was the claim that launched Christianity. Jesus died for our sins in our place bearing our judgment, then Jesus rose from the dead. Not as a hallucination. Unlike a hallucination, the experience was shared by people with different psychological makeups and temperaments, you know, at different times over the span of several weeks, leaving an empty tomb and a missing body behind. He appeared not as a ghost or a vision, unlike a ghost or a vision, Jesus was touched. He appeared not as a legend that grew up over time as those who knew Jesus passed away. No, this was the claim of Jesus' friends and followers from the very beginning. We have seen the Lord, that Jesus appeared in some kind of transformed physical body, that the God who created all things out of nothing had reconfigured the body of his son as the first great act of a new creation. A resurrection body untouched by decay and sin and death. We have seen the Lord. That is the claim of Christianity. And for all of us today who hear that claim and find it difficult to believe, you know, maybe we say, well, you know, I have a background in the sciences, or, you know, I have, I have philosophical objections to miracles. Or just like, this seems like a strange, strange story to believe as modern people with our modern knowledge, right? If you hear this claim and you have doubts about this story, you'll find a friend in Thomas. So let's look at the doubt of Thomas. The disciples say, look back at the text. They say, we have seen the Lord. There's the claim. And Thomas says, unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were put my hand into his side i will not believe how many of us relate to thomas like we love we love thomas and we always pick on thomas as the big doubter, you know, like he's known as, as Doubting Thomas. He has one moment of human weakness or even is it human weakness? And we know him for all time as, as Doubting Thomas. But really, when Jesus died, all the disciples became skeptics and doubters. That's why they were afraid. That's why they were scattered. That's why they ran away. They knew that a crucified Messiah was a failed Messiah in the first century. The word Messiah, it means anointed king. The idea was that the Messiah would come and rescue Israel and conquer the Romans, not die at the hands of the Romans. A crucified Messiah was by definition a failed Messiah. That's what they believed. So when Jesus died, they all became skeptics. They all became doubters. Not only that, they knew that dead people stay dead. The disciples knew that just as well as you or I do. They didn't need modern science to tell them that. I mean, they probably knew it better than us without medical science, right? Dead people stay dead. Jesus didn't stay dead. That's why it was a big deal. That's why it changed everything. That's why it launched this movement that's changed the world. You see, Thomas was just the last in line to experience it. And what's so fascinating about this story, and it's so easy to miss if we read quickly through it, but look at verse 26. Thomas says to his friends, I won't believe. He says, I won't believe you. But look at verse 26. It says, a week later, he is still in the room with the disciples. Think about that. He stays in the room. If you have doubts, and many of us do, I wanna encourage you today to stay in the room. Thomas had major doubts, but he didn't disengage. He stayed in the room with the disciples. That's amazing. Like, let me say it this way. The opposite of belief is unbelief, not doubt. The opposite of belief is unbelief, not doubt. There is room for doubters in our midst. And how many of us, when we were younger, maybe in your teen years, if you kind of, I don't know, disengaged from church for a while, now you're kind of coming back, but hesitantly. And the reason you disengaged is because you had questions and concerns and doubts, but your questions weren't addressed. Fair or not, maybe they maybe just don't remember, but they felt like they, they weren't addressed, that your questions and concerns were marginalized or even viewed as dangerous which made you feel dangerous and so you disengaged and you're like if there's not room here for doubts or questions or concerns then there's no room for me because I have doubts and questions and concerns and I want to say to you today as clearly as I can you're not alone and there is room for you here There is room for you in the midst of the skepticism and doubts and questions. There's room for you. You're welcome. Let me give you a quote by a theologian and author, Henry Drummond. See if this is helpful for you. You know, if it is, maybe, you know, write it in the chat. Uh, Here's what he said. Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. I think Thomas wanted to believe. Like he wanted to believe desperately, but he didn't wanna get his hopes up. Like he didn't want to be fooled. He doubted because he didn't want to be duped. Yet he stayed in the room. He stayed curious. He stayed open. He stayed questioning. And I wanna to say to you today, stay in the room. Even as we go into this new series during the month of November, stay in the room. Keep asking your questions. Keep seeking. You're welcome. You're welcome here. Now, others of us, we don't really at least in our current season, we don't really relate to Thomas. We're, we're feeling real confident in our faith. Like we've, maybe we've experienced the presence of God or, or it feels like God showed up in dark seasons in our life and proven to us he's real. Maybe we've seen miracles. I remember I was uh, in Denver, Colorado and I was in a van with a bunch of church planners. It was like a training kind of seminar thing. And we were on a road trip and we were talking and we were sharing, you know, some surprising things we'd all witness God do. And my friend Steve told me this story that happened ironically at a church in California called The Way. And he and his buddy were there and they were praying for people. So just like, you know, at the end of this service, there's an opportunity to receive prayer. Uh, they were doing it, but in person, you know, pre-COVID. And so this older guy came up and he could see fine in his left eye, but he was blind in his right eye. And his eye looked kind of grayish or cloudy and it looked like there was a mass that had grown over the pupil and he couldn't see. And so he asked that he would be you know, prayed for, for healing. And so Steve and his friend prayed for him and at first nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, this man started jumping up and down saying, I can see, I can see, I can see. And when he turned around, Steve could see like his grayish eye now looked like his normal eye happened right in front of them as they prayed. You know, kind of like stories you read in the New Testament. And everyone in the van had a story like that. Sometimes I wonder if we have trouble believing in miracles because we don't know enough people. Or or we get locked into these overly confident, you know, echo chambers online or or, you know, from our limited experience, we cast a net over all of reality through which no miracle is allowed to pass. But during that trip, we also saw like a miraculous manifestation of God's presence when we were praying. And so I'm on this trip and I'm in this van and I'm hearing these stories and my faith is like flying high. I'm like so confident, right? And and some of you are in that place today. You're, you're just so confident in your faith. You, you can't relate to Doubting Thomas, at least right now. But here's the thing. Confident faith is not afraid of other people's questions. It's really an insecure faith that feels threatened by other people's doubts. A confident faith makes space for doubters. Because even as I tell that story about being in the van, some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't there. Like, I wasn't in the van. I didn't see that. And I'm carrying disappointment in my heart over what God didn't do. And stories like that almost feel like salt in the wound. Like, why did God do that over here, but not for me? And it's like, oh, God hasn't, Jesus hasn't shown up in the midst of the shattered pieces of my dreams yet. But the disciples, they were confident enough about their experience of Jesus that they didn't feel the need to kick Thomas out of the room you see when we make space for doubters we might be making space for our future self because we all go through dark seasons dark nights moments of doubt right when we make you know when we make space for doubters in our midst we might be making space for our future selves because we all go through dark seasons and moments Of doubt, And if there's doubters here, there's room for you. Now, what's so amazing is Thomas, he stays engaged. He stays in the room. He stays open. He stays curious. And then look at what happens. Let's get back in the story here. A week later, you can follow along. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. We talked about that. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, or more literally, stop disbelieving and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus shows up and says, Touch and see, stop disbelieving and believe. Jesus meets Thomas in the midst of his skepticism. He goes right for him and presents the marks of crucifixion. And I don't want us to miss this either. A little detail in the story that we so readily skim over when we read it. That Jesus shows up in his resurrection body untouched by decay, disease, death, this transformed physicality, his resurrection body, yet he still bears the marks of crucifixion. Isn't that a little strange? But look, even in his resurrection body, the marks of crucifixion tell of his long-suffering love for us. I don't know what it'll be like to to see Jesus personally, but I know my eyes will be drawn to the marks. Even in the resurrection, we can't forget, we won't be able to forget the depths to which Jesus willingly went to rescue us that I'm more sinful than I realize, which is why Jesus had to die for me, but I'm also more loved than I ever dared to hope for or imagine, which is why Jesus was willing to die for me. And his marks tell that story, the story of a God who suffered with us and for us and because of us and to one day, you know, take all suffering away from us. Think about what the scars meant, not just for Thomas, but for all the disciples. Look at this Tim Keller quote. Seeing Jesus Christ with his scars reminds them of what he did for them. That the scars they thought had ruined their lives. Oh, it's all over. Our dreams are shattered. Jesus has died. We might as well go home. The scars they thought had ruined their lives actually saved their lives. Remembering those scars will help many of them endure their own crucifixions, their own sufferings. Touch the wounds and remember it is me. Jesus says to Thomas, Touch the wounds. It is me and Thomas moves from disbelief to belief he responds my lord and my god he acknowledges Jesus as god and savior and Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say no Thomas don't say that he receives the worship he receives Thomas's statement that he is lord and he is god and then he says and this is where we talk about you know his blessing for us he says because you have seen me you have believed he says that to Thomas Then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And blessing here is divine favor. It's the face of God smiling on us. Blessing is not just a subjective feeling of, of happiness. It's an objective pronouncement over our lives that the one opinion that matters most in the universe ultimately has spoken, it's the opinion of God. And he said, you are my beloved children in Christ. You are blessed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe he's talking about us. Now, some have misread this story and thought that Jesus' blessing kind of, you know, stick your head in the sand, leave your brain at the door, like blind belief. They thought, oh, that's what, you know, Jesus is promoting here blind belief. But you notice actually that Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without sight, not those who believe without evidence. Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without sight, not those who believe without evidence. Here we're invited to believe in Jesus and his resurrection based on the evidence of eyewitness testimony, based on the testimony of others. That most of what we believe to be true about the world in geography, science, history, we believe based on reliable testimony, not firsthand experience. Here we're invited to believe based on the evidence of eyewitness testimony. And really, who are we going to trust? Who else are we going to trust when it comes to Jesus? Scholars today will tell you all different things about Jesus. Religious books written hundreds of years after Jesus died will tell you all kinds of things about Jesus. And I read all of that stuff and I learn a lot. A lot of it's helpful. But in the midst of the big words and fancy degrees and convincing arguments, it's easy to forget one simple fact. They weren't there. They're writing hundreds of years or or thousands of years removed from the event. The disciples were there and the disciples didn't get public approval or tenure or book deals for their claims. They didn't get degrees in fancy schools. I mean, they got beaten and mocked and killed and yet they insisted to their dying breath, Jesus rose from the dead. Martyrdom doesn't confirm truth. It proves sincerity, that is all. But the disciples didn't die like normal martyrs for claims they hoped were true. They died not for a rumor or the teaching of a spiritual leader who had long since passed away or an abstract uh, ideology. No, they died because of what they had seen and heard and touched. And the world has never been the same since. Blessed are those who believe without sight, on the basis of this evidence. And every spiritual blessing we have flows to us from the resurrection. That the resurrection tells us that God is real. The resurrection tells us that God meets us In Jesus, the resurrection tells us that our sins really are forgiven, that we really are not alone in the hard things, that God really is for us and not against us, that the best really is yet to come, that every spiritual blessing flows from the resurrection. I love this quote from the Catholic philosopher, Peter Kreft. He says, the resurrection is the concrete, factual Empirical proof, meaning they saw it, they touched it, they heard it, empirical. They witnessed it through their senses. It's the concrete, factual, empirical proof that life has hope and meaning. Love is stronger than death. Goodness and power are ultimately allies, not enemies. Think about how amazing that is given our climate that life wins in the end, that that God has touched us right where we are and has defeated our last enemy, that we're not cosmic orphans as our modern secular worldview would make us. And the greatest importance of the resurrection is not in the past, Christ rose, but in the present, Christ has risen. Only Jesus can conquer the grave. And he is alive today and because of that there's hope. Author Mark Buchanan in his book Things Unseen tells the story about an older woman in his congregation named Marlene who had cancer. And that's a path I've walked along with many people. As a pastor for over 10 years I have been in rooms where people are experiencing their worst case scenario. And I can tell you that Jesus and his resurrection even makes a difference in those rooms. But I don't have the words like Mark does, and so let me read you what he writes about Marlene. She was hospitable, an entertainer of angels, a friend to the lonely, the wounded, the perplexed, the sorrowful. God blessed her with extraordinary influence. The throng lining heaven's the throng lining heaven's gateway to thank her will be huge and larger than anyone on earth knows for she did her work quietly without trumpets blaring. I love that testimony. Then he writes, so we asked God to remove the cancer in Marlene. We wanted her to stay with us, among us, to do what few did, to inspire us to do it too. But God said no. Saintliness is seen as much, maybe more, in our death style, as in our lifestyle. Marlene rose to new greatness in her dying. Somewhere in the last days, Marlene's friend Eugene leaned close to her. He took her hand, her cold, cold hand in his own and held it tight, too tight. Marlene Marlene could barely turn her head, but she looked toward him and then she spoke in a voice surprising in its clarity and strength. It's all right, Jean, she said. You can let go. Don't you understand? I've lived my entire life for this moment. I've lived my entire life for this moment. Marlene had one regret. It was about her husband, Al. She wasn't sure how he would manage without her. But her vow to him was until death doth part us and death would wait no longer. Al sat beside her. He held her hand. He didn't notice its coldness. He read to her Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Marlene, he said, thank you for 45 years of marriage. He paused only a moment and then spoke the words she longed to hear, run into the arms of Jesus. And joy flooded her countenance and she stood straight up or she she sat straight up jaunty like a child waking after a good sound sleep. I've lived my entire life for this moment. And she was gone, heaven bent. I've lived my entire life for this moment, the moment of death. Like that's the difference the resurrection makes, not just to our lifestyle, but to our death style, that you and I live in a world where God raised his son from the dead. Live and die like that is true. Eat and celebrate like that is true. Give yourself away in love until the end like that is true. Blessed are those who believe but haven't seen. For one day they will see him. Scars and all. The resurrection guarantees it. Only Jesus can conquer the grave, which is why we will only and always be all about him. Amen.